there's a picture in this article of him in a crazy fencing outfit in his mansion in Hawaii uh, in the metaverse fencing some Olympic gold medal. And it just, he looks like a, the Marshmallow Man or something. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. I have Calvin Brodus flowing through my mentals on the daily. You know Calvin Brodus. Yeah, I know we're going to talk about boomers later, and uh, you might want to save that reference because there's people on the pod that don't even know who that is. So Snoop Dogg, Calvin Brodus is his real name. And back in, I say Calvin Brodus specifically because back in the 90s, he had this song because he was on trial. So that's how like his real name was coming out everywhere. Murder was the case that they gave me. You know, you know, you remember that joint, right? But I think every day I'm like, inflation was that case that they gave me. Every day I'm thinking about that. Every day I'm thinking about that. How you doing, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm good. I I mean, we've been talking about inflation. Um, and remember my $14 burrito? And then you had like uh, this egg salad type thing. No, it was like a breakfast that they smashed up for you and charged you 15 bucks. Remember that? Exactly. Gourmet exactly. eggs. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. Well, one of our friends, who's not our friend at all, um, went on Fox News to talk about inflation this week. Can you play that clip for me, Douglas? Yeah, I'll put this on. I mean, admittedly, you want to know how bad inflation is? Yesterday, yes, I had a nice lunch at Taco Bell. Cost me about $28 at Taco Bell for lunch. People need to pay for those things, and they do that by getting jobs and getting in the economy and getting active and getting involved. Wait a minute. You spent $28 at yeah. Taco Bell for just yourself? <laughs> for lunch, yeah. It's, really? it's true. Okay. That's, that's a lot of chalupas. That that's is, an inflation story. That, that is. He's a th- you're both thin, fit guy. I can't see me. That that's just like the opening appetizer, but whatever. Uh, I just can't. <laughs> I like I, I, you might have seen the headlines on social media, right? And I was like, whatever. This is not going to be worth my time. I cannot get over how funny that is. The reaction of like, wait, first of all, he says, I had a nice lunch at Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you have a nice Straight lunch? face. Straight face, too. <laughs> and then my, I've probably mentioned this on the pod before. My family of four kind of likes Taco Bell. It's like the guilty pleasure for our family. I'll get a nice meal, a nice meal in quotes for the whole family for $28. I cannot even imagine how you spend twenty eight dollars to talk about. <laughs> I just I, I love his and maybe he's uh, his comedic delivery is what frames this, but it doesn't seem like he's joking. Like he has a straight face on. When he's, he's saying so this. serious. Like I sat down for a nice lunch, you know, and then he was, and then injustice, injustice ensued. <laughs> the other thing that cracks me up is like. I mean, there's prices on the menu, guys. Like, you can, <laughs> you can't be that surprised, you know. When you go order, you're like three double steak quesadilla tacos, two chalupas, seven sodas. I don't. I still don't know. How you get I, I like how sodas was the thing that you. Because like. <laughs> oh, you need goodness. like a three dollar piece of garbage to. I don't know how you spent twenty eight dollars. Anyway, 
Okay. While we're while we're on this topic of of things that you cannot believe, I read this Wall Street Journal article this week and took a triple, quadruple, quintuple, sextuple, septuple, octuple. I was trying to see how long I could go. I was actually pretty impressed with myself right there. Uh, so I took this double take on this Wall Street Journal article, article talking about diversification, which I think is very interesting. It can be important for a lot of portfolios. The article is called, Here's a Different Way to Think About Stock Diversification. And here I am, here I am in my naivete saying, oh, I'd like to learn about a different way to think about stock diversification. And so I begin to read this article. What it talks about is instead of thinking about diversification, or maybe in addition, let me not say instead, in addition to think about stock diversification from holding different types of investments so that you can diversify your risk, it says think about it from a time perspective. So usually people might say invest X percent, like a certain percentage of your portfolio. Right, You do that from the time you start working. And because your income generally increases over time, you end up investing more as your age progresses. Yeah, you you mean, uh, I think you misspoke. You mean a certain percentage of your income. Typically, that's somewhere between 10 and 15% of your income. If you set that aside for retirement, you're going to be in great shape in 99% of scenarios. Yeah, sorry, I misspoke there. Thank you for, for clarifying. Exactly. So it's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. If you do that, you're increasing risk later on. Let's not do let's not do that. Instead, invest the same amount from the get. So always instead of investing like $1 just you know proverbial, $1 here, $3 later, $5 later, just yeah. invest like, you know, two or the the equivalent of like 2 or $3 all along the process. So I'm going, that seems interesting. Okay, go on. So I continue down the page and it says, "Now, Dougals, what you might be thinking is, how can I do that? Because I don't have the money early on. We have a simple, this article says, we have a simple solution for you. Borrow it. And I went, hold up, hold up, hold up. What you were telling me to do is at a young age and potentially, depending, potentially right after I just got off of having student loan debt, you're telling yeah. me to then add in margin debt in order to fuel my, my stock market fancies? I'm going to just get your reaction right now. I mean, this is hot garbage, but I'm running out of ways to say garbage. So I started saying sewage this week at some of the stock <laughs> ideas you were sending my way. <laughs> I mean, whoever thinks leverage is a good idea. Leverage is guaranteed pain, right? Just guaranteed pain. Um, this also assumes it's hard enough for people to manage their own behavioral emotion behavioral expectations and emotions that come with significant downward swing in the stock market right it's hard enough can you imagine if you're levered up if you're making fifty thousand dollars a year because you're fresh out of college and you're trying to buy a house and you're trying to you know get on firm financial footing and the stock market happens to do what it's done this year and go down 25 ish percent you're going to be freaking out. You're not going to say, oh, I read this article in the Wall Street Journal from some Yale professors and everything's going to be great 50 years from now. Absolutely not. You're going to be <laughs> trying to live your life, trying to buy your puppy or whatever. And you're going to be up to your eyeballs in debt, not being able to get a home loan. Like, this is hot garbage. It's all there it, is to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't, again, I couldn't believe this was in the Wall Street Journal. And to your 50-year point, 
right? It's kind of saying I'm I'm gonna butcher like the full argument they have, but it doesn't really matter. Is it's kind of saying what well, the stock market goes up and to the right. And so we've back tested this. And if you leveraged, you would have had yeah. more over yep. uh, uh, who what who was their editor? I can't even blame the the authors for this, right? Like who was like, yes, this is this is the portfolio theory that we should we should put out there. We should we should go ahead and say, Yale professor, because you're from Yale, you're probably right. I I blame the editor at the Wall Street Journal that said that we're going to put this in in our period. I can't even call it a periodical anymore. Well, so can I? Let me read a quote. Using an additional two hundred percent allocation and gradually reducing the allocation to stocks over time down to eighty three percent at retirement age is a winning strategy. In a two thousand ten book, we found that leveraged life the leveraged life cycle approach produced superior retirement accumulation. For each and every cohort retiring between 1914 and 2009, of course you did. You took on <laughs> leverage, and the stock market went up. Like, of course you did. This is the the people at Google and uh, Facebook and Apple in the last. Well, take Facebook out of that. Let's just say Google doing analysis of their stocks performance for the last 20 years and being like, well, pretty much every investment we've made has worked out. Well, cause your stock's gone up and to the right when then that works until it doesn't work anymore. And then you completely screwed and you took on leverage. Precisely. I, I just like, I couldn't, I couldn't. So we can move on. Don't need to spend more time with this, but you can do better. WSJ. You can do better. What yeah, you got? I'm going to, I'm going to sue them for, uh, Okay, hold on. <laughs> For malpractice. You just got straight American on us right there. Oh, oh man, what you got in the bowl? Uh, Kathy Wood wrote an open letter to the Fed this week. I'm not going to spend time on the open letter to the Fed, but I think the translation is something like, uh, Jerome Powell, my stock picks suck because I bought a bunch of stuff that had no cash backstop, and now I'm in a bad spot could you please help me out here with some rate cuts is that what it said i mean so is that the purpose of it yes what she said here i'll spend a little more time on it what she says is the federal reserve is spending too much time looking in the rear view mirror at lagging indicators we should look at forward looking indicators and so she includes this table of commodities and saying if you look at commodities which are forward-looking in in her, her view, commodities are decreasing in price hugely, bigly, right? Yep. We got commodities going down by 30%, 40%, 50%. I don't have the table in front of me, but I, I remember like it was there were huge numbers, right? Commodities yeah, I do, down. and I own a lumber company, right? And so the price of lumber has gone down 74% from peak to current price like in the past six months. Drastic. It's happening yeah. all over the place in commodities. So she's saying commodity price has gone down. So inflation is is definitely going to come down. It's just lagging. So you haven't seen it yet. And the second point she brings up is around inventories, which we've we've talked about here. She's like, if you look at inventories, you know, Walmart, Target, you got these these companies that have bomb supply chain. And it's like they, they're very good at managing the supply chain is what I'm saying. And if you look at their inventories, 
obviously we don't we no longer have that supply side inflation situation going on because they're able to get all their inventories but they're not able to sell them and so we knew this was a supply chain problem previously that problem doesn't exist anymore so these are like the, these are the things that that Kathy would say you're looking in the rearview mirror you got to look forward fed you got to look forward inflation's already coming down you just haven't seen it yet in your data <sighs> Deep breath is my response to that. <laughs> I will tell one aside. Re remember when semiconductors were impossible to get and there was going to be a three-year supply shortage and everything else? Well, now semiconductors, semiconductor companies are in the middle of layoffs because of how much oversupply they have and how weak demand is. So everything mean reverts. At least that's my take. I think that's some of what she's saying here. And I agree that the prospects for inflation are better right now than they were nine months ago but that does not mean you can take your eye off the ball i i don't know this is i have a hard time giving credence to these words because i just see through it rather whether it's right or wrong and say that what she's really saying is my stock picks have performed very poorly recently and i need all the help i can get and so might as well ask jay pal <laughs> she's petitioning to the un right now effectively probably yeah she probably wrote the article that says you can't raise rates that we talked about last week the, the part that you're going to like the most though like this is your favorite part because of what you've brought up here before is the last like sentence that she has in this thing here we go you think i made it to the last sentence absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> all right here's the last sentence could it be that the unprecedented 13-fold increase in interest rates during the last six months, likely 16-fold come November 2nd, has shocked not just the U.S., but the world and raised the risks of a deflationary bust? And uh, how do you do the math in in Europe where the rate was at negative half a percent to whatever it is now? How do you do that math? I don't know how to calculate that, but that's what she should be writing about. I mean, look, when interest rates are zero... And nine months later, they're still zero. Do you say that you had a hundred X fold or hundred X increase in, in inflation rates? Like, I, I like this is here's the whole thing. So there was this point, right, when Kathy was talking about how her portfolio is going to increase by you know forty percent a year, all this kind of stuff, and she was saying, "I know this because of our models. Our models spit it out. And our models are so good." There was a part of me that said, I mean, what she was saying was all the garbage in the world, right? Which you've you've heard me talk about before. But there's a part of me, at least, that was like, at least like, I mean, she probably does have these models. They're probably sophisticated models, and they're just spitting out things that she decides to put out in the world. That's nonsense. Now I'm doubting the models. Like at this point, I'm kind of like, you can't like the way that you perceive math, right? Like you need to go talk to Archimedes because you need to get down to the basics. We know that from her 13 times comment. Um, <laughs> I don't uh, think I could spend any more time on this. I, she, uh, here's what I'll Okay, do. no, I actually can. Wig, you were so bold that whatever, a year ago, you said my portfolio is going to compound at 40% returns for the next five years, which would make it like worth however many trillions and and literally the math was impossible at the time those models that you're just claiming you liked were around you you just have lost all your credibility to go back and say oh 
Jerome Palantine, you should listen to me. It just you, she just loses more credibility every week. Sorry, I'm not. I don't like throwing shade. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying, don't listen to her advice because it's not <laughs> worth listening to. Hold, hold on, <laughs> I'm I'm not throwing shade. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't listen to her. Like, is that? <laughs> I'm saying, don't make investments based on her guidance. Yeah. Okay, nope. I think that's a fair public service announcement. I think it's more than fair. I think it's more good, than fair. Good. I'm gonna I'm gonna put beside this because I think these two things go hand in hand. So we got Kathy Wood yelling at the Fed, you're doing a bunch of nonsense, Fed. Please change your ways. And she's not the only one. There is this uh investment letter, I'll just kind of call it, that was put out by Strategas. Um, I think it's gotta be pronounced in a fancy way. It's called Fed to Financial Markets. It's not about you. Mm-hmm. And it's short. Right. This isn't one of those long ones, but I think it's like it's just so straight up and and good because what it says is people need to stop complaining and play the game on the field. I'll give you a couple quotes as to as to how it says this more articulately at the start says kind of like what we were just talking about. It's not often that you hear a professional investor pine for a financial crisis to bail them out of their long duration, long risk trades, right? Which, which is what you were saying, Kathy, what is basically trying to do. It's like, yes. it's almost as if money managers are taking the Fed's tightening campaign as both a personal affront and a crime against common sense. Boom. I think sums it up. People be complaining. They be yelling everywhere. Okay. Now, this is, this is where you get through the whole thing. This is the summary of what they're saying. We, on the other hand, believe it makes more sense now to simply listen to the Fed tell you how it's going to proceed, regardless of whether one believes it to be right or wrong. As in Blackjack, the object of the money game isn't to get 21. It's to beat the dealer. We must all play the ball as it lies, accepting the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. Mic drop, strategas. Yeah, there we go. That much better. That's what I'm trying to say to Kathy and friends. Uh, and they just said it in a better way. Much better. That's it. Like the I think the point that they raise in this is so good. They're like, you you could send me your commodity tables, send me all that. Great. The Fed has with no doubt just stated, we are taking inflation down. We know that this can and likely will cause pain. We're taking inflation down. Play that game. Don't yep. play the game of of like lumbers down 70%. And so therefore you shouldn't do this. Like, nah, they've been very clear. Yeah. Uh, I keep trying to get away from Kathy and I keep coming back. But Kathy's over there screaming, oh, you have a chance to rethink what you told us was going to happen in November. When the right thing to do is be like, this is amazing. They told me exactly their playbook in November and I can make decisions based on that. Like that's what you hope for as an investor in this way. You almost know the future of where they want rates to be through the end of the year. And you can make smart decisions about it. Exactly. Exactly. Just like, look at, look at the data. And it's not very often that there's this much clarity from what they've stated. And they seem pretty freaking resolute about it the other thing that gets to me i know we've said this a little bit before the other thing that gets to me is we wait for these uh, inflation reports these cpi reports 
And I don't really know what we're expecting to happen that fast. Like the amount of, I'm going to way oversimplify the economy. And also I'm going to like, this isn't really how CPI is calculated, what I'm about to say, but still, let's just use it as a narrative. So what needs to occur is you you raise interest rates. Then people have to say, instead of spending that, I'm going to save it, right? They're going to have to say, instead of spending, I'm going to save it. So you put money, take money out of the economy. You put it into your savings account because now you're getting interest rates. The restaurant down the street has to go, I have my $22 entree, but now I see the demands going down. So let me actually lower my price from 22 to 15, you know, or whatever the, the price should be there. That takes like a good amount of time for that behavioral change to go through the economy. And again, that's not exactly like really how it works. But the expectation that we have that the Fed raises rates and like within the next six months, everything falls like doesn't it doesn't even make any sense right i'm my my way too oversimplifying what do you think Uh, no you're just um you're just articulating the people the mistake people frequently make and that's having perspective that's much too short term whether this is investing or watching cpi print on a monthly basis like it is going to take a year if you go back to the stanley drunken miller interview where he said i had my team my massive team of analysts look at all the situations like this and until the fed funds rate is greater than cpi you basically never get inflation under control i know that jerome powell and team have done a very similar analysis and i am confident that that's why they are so steadfast in the plan to continue to raise rates despite the fact that they know that that's going to cause pain to the economy because that's what has to happen here. And <laughs> so I'm with you. Yeah. I don't really care what happens on a monthly basis. I can tell you if things continue at their current pace, it's going to be much better six to nine months from now than it is today. There it is. All right. Well, what's next for you? Well, so on our podcast uh, sharing app, the the thing that like publishes to you know Spotify, uh apple podcast everything else it keeps asking me if we're a comedy podcast and i think that's kind of funny so i just feel like i have to live up to that mandate Dougals. and the best way to do that is to talk about zuckerberg (laughs) (laughs) do you know that he 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 shared a picture of him in the metaverse in like august Uh, so first of all the new york times and the wall street journal did like tear down of how chaotic the metaverse is at uh facebook right now which are or fun reads if you're a shareholder like me and so he released this picture of him in the metaverse and people ripped it to shreds like just said this is the stupidest thing i've ever seen it looks like something from 2002 so that if you believe the reporting he had his team do 43 revisions of his what his face looked like in the metaverse to share the update Uh, here's like the oh i did not mean this as a pun, but I was about to say, here's the meta problem. But I just <laughs> meant here's like the higher level. The higher level issue here is Mark Zuckerberg decided that he should be the face of the company. Yes. Now, I I know he's the CEO. And I, I really, this is a hard thing to say, like, and not to mean in a negative way, but I really don't mean this in a negative way. But like, nobody likes you, which can be fine. You need to run a successful company. Right. You need to have the respect of your employees. You need to, you know, there's a lot of things that you need to be able to do. You don't have to be 
broadly and publicly liked as a CEO. Like, I think that's fine. That's why I don't mean it to be a negative thing. But you should yeah. know that. You you don't need to be like George Clooney or David Letterman or someone that is fairly universally liked. There's a picture in this article of him in a crazy fencing outfit in his mansion in Hawaii uh, in the metaverse fencing some Olympic gold medal. And it's just, he looks like a the marshmallow man or something like hire go go pay george clooney five million dollars to do this exact same thing and people are gonna be like wow that's cool it's a great point why why does he think he needs to be the face of this why do we care about him fencing or him surfing or whatever he wants to do in the metaverse we care about people that are more relatable and how they would use uh some very cool technology that happens to that his company has to happens to own do what you're best at, right? Part of my rationale for for thinking that the I want to call it Facebook Meta yeah. can do the metaverse thing. Part of my rationale is that Zuckerberg is a really strong operator. Like he's yep. really strong operator. Not he's such a charismatic, likable, like I want to see his face everywhere guy. Like you need to spend your time on your most valuable like high ROI stuff, Zuckerberg, this is not it. You're just going to end up creating more kerfuffle and having to fight it. Right? I don't, I don't need you doing that. Right. I need you like in the, in the company, making your employees more productive and, you know, creating value or whatever, just get out, get out of this. I don't know if maybe this is like a reaction to Cheryl leaving or something like that, that he feels like there's a void or something. I don't know, but That's you just got to stop take. this. Um, stop one this. of the things I liked about, the article this week in the New York Times was it did talk about how he made a major bet. I think it was uh, 2012 ish where he said everything we build in the company is going to be mobile first. And that was pretty that was a dramatic change at the time. And he was 100 percent right to make that bet, it made the company tons of money. I think we'll see if he's um, right on this bet or not. But you know, that's a really great point, Douglas, that I haven't even thought about. I think some of the – I just laugh at, at his public persona and how he has become the face of the company in a way that distracts from the actual products. So I love what you're saying there. Hopefully he gets back to it. All right. Can I talk about a company that I came across this week that I think is really interesting? I'm reaching down in the fishbowl to talk about Built With. The name of this company is Built With. Built with is a, it says no employees in what I read, but there's one employee. It is the, like the founder, CEO employee makes, according to this, $14 million a year with that single person. And what I thought was most interesting is how this product and organization was built, what it does and how it makes money. I'm going to give like the one minute recap of what that is uh, and then want to hear from you okay so it's called built with the reason it's called built with was because something like 16 years ago uh, so back in the 2005 2006 time period there was this this lonely person that wanted to be an engineer and he said all right so i'm going to learn how to code and i'm going to build me some apps and i'm a make a lot of money. That's the way this works, right? And so what he did was he said, well, I don't really exactly know how to code right now. So let me go and I'm going to get ideas and learn how to code from by looking at the, the source code uh, from websites. And so what you can do, if, if folks don't know this, if you go to a website 
and you right click on it, you'll get your right click menu and you can click on inspect element or inspect depending on what browser you're using. And that'll allow you to see like what's happening in the background. So you can see the like HTML source code. You can click through to like the JavaScript. They have you all this stuff, right? You can take a look. And so what he was doing was going across websites, right clicking and, and looking at what technologies and whatnot all the websites were using and started collect making this database of it. And so he built a, he was doing this, built a bunch of apps like he wanted to, none of them worked, but this database that he was collecting started to be like pretty freaking valuable, right? Cause it's so proprietary. And so eventually I'm going to, I'm just skipping to the future a little bit. Eventually he has this proprietary database that has, I'll say every website, right? On the internet, not exactly, but it's like every website on the internet, it links to what technologies they're using, what, um, what type of uh, code they're writing in all this stuff. So he creates this and people start liking this because it's interesting. The creme de la creme, what I love, how he makes money is that then he started charging for it, not because people thought that it was interesting to see what other websites were using, but because you can see who your competitors are and who's using them. So an example would be if I said, I want to start a Slack competitor, right? I can go, that might, that might be like the worst example actually, but anyway, but if I said I want to start a Slack competitor, I can go into his database and see all of the organizations that are using Slack and then say, the, that's the customer base that I want to market to, right? It's like, it's pretty ingenious. I think having this database and then that is a use case. So $14 million a year, a single individual, I think it's pretty fascinating. Such a cool company. I, stum I stumbled across it like three months ago. And just the users, their interface and the ease of use is is pretty cool. I love the story. The story reminds me of the reference we made to Annie Duke's new book, Quit. Because uh, the piece you missed is at one point he hired a co-founder and was thinking about like scaling up. And he he made a conscious decision that they were getting nice organic growth and they didn't really need marketing. Like people, the people that need this find it. And they're willing to pay him money. And so he pulled back and said, this is effectively going to be a fully automated $14 million a year company. And that works for me. I think that's the most admirable piece here. Well, actually, I mean, his the story of how he built the company is also really cool. But um, I love that he took a different path here. He could very easily, I'm sure, be a $100 million company with $97 million in expenses. And feel more important have a bigger office space but probably like make less money at the end of the day sometimes the next big thing is the big thing you already have well so i think i think it's like super cool and i love that you relate this back to uh the annie duke piece i mean it, it's a it's not easy right when you're in an organization to say yeah let's not go for the you know the big win but this just seems like like why mess with this it's really interesting and at some point Maybe, you know, it stops printing out the the returns at some point. But by that point, the ROI yeah. he's had on this will already be like pretty freaking massive. So like kudos. I, I really loved re reading about this. Oh, right now, all his financial metrics are off the charts. And as I told you, Dougals, I am happy to pay him $1 million per employee uh, to buy his company. I'll, let's see if he accepts. <laughs> they fight.
We have two pieces of listener mail this week. I'm not sure if we'll get to both of those, but thanks for sending that in. Hit us at skippydoogles at gmail.com, excuse me, uh, with listener mail. So the first thing comes from a tweet by uh, Connor Sen this week. And he's joking here, but he says, my real estate genius was being 36 years old and having one kid with plans to have another in uh, 2017 buying a house before the pandemic and then refinancing last summer. Thanks all to my parents having me between 1981 or in 1981 instead of 1989. Let me translate because I want to be crystal clear. This is an economics joke about the timing of your birth, drastically influencing your economic opportunities simply because of luck. Simply because if you were born in the early 80s as opposed to the late 80s, you came of age at a time, you can't, You got to that mid-career time where you're ready to buy a house that happened to coincide with house prices being cheap and mortgage rates being low, that person is likely significantly better off from a financial position than someone who was born eight years later. Thoughts, Dougals? I think that, as you stated, time period of when you come about can influence a lot of, of what you're doing here. I think that the the decision point here, I think, can be easily ignored as well, because you can just decide not to. If you were born in 1989, you can decide not to buy the house at that yeah. point in time. So that, that's that's the point that I think is ignored. But the the key point around, as you brought up before, you just mentioned um, if you were raised during a certain time, like Great Depression, that changes your whole psychology as to how you approach stuff. I think that that is that's like dead on. And having if you're born at a certain time, having access to certain types of vehicles, like investment vehicles, right? Tax law changes, all that kind of stuff. I think it could be highly influential. So agreed to the to the broader point. Yeah. So the listener mail here is just how to think about this. And I, I think the way I think about it is. In all walks of life, I always think about the founders, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates, and how much luck went into the fact, uh, even the Jeff Bezos, like Elon Musk, and then uh, that on a smaller scale. If you really think that 100% of your life's outcome is driven by skill, you've just completely missed the boat. We can go back to the Michael Mobison book that specifically talks about the difference between luck and skill. He breaks it down um, on different sporting events, hockey, basketball, football, everything else he talks about investing. That's the overarching point for me is never lose sight of how much luck is involved with the outcomes of your career, of your financial life, of who you even meet and marry. Like that, That's just part of the equation that you can't forget about. Agreed. And I'm going off on a tangent here, oddly. Going off on a tangent, you know, we were talking about that uh, FDR book last week called uh, No Ordinary Time. I was talking to a friend about it and I was like, how lucky as a country were we that, and this is double luck, that during this period of time, we had Franklin as our president. (laughs) Like, if you look at what he did, like how lucky the double luck comes here and how lucky were that we had him as our president and that he married Eleanor. Like yep. the combination of the two of them is so ridiculous, right? And, and again, it's it's a tangent, but these are the kinds of things that I think you can sometimes just overlook. 
Completely agree. Big luck. The other piece of listener mail we had was simply about cash allocation. And on the we're as guilty of this as anyone else, right, Diggles? We're always talking about, oh, I see a new deal in the market and I'm ready to deploy some cash towards that deal. And the listener mail was effectively along the lines of like, but where do you guys get this cash? Like, I'm invested. <laughs> I, you know, I made an investment decision. Maybe I rebalance once a year. Like, and and the money I have is allocated. So where do you get more money when you see a deal on the street? How do you handle that? How do you think about that? So it, it actually, it's, it's, I think it's like a phenomenal like point actually to, to point out, right? Because the, I think the, the statement is around, there's not some like bucket of cash that you're, that most times that people are saying, I'm just waiting for a certain moment and sitting on my Scrooge McDuck pile of gold coins, right? To throw in for me personally, it's pulling out of savings. And so like, the, the, I'll just, not always, right. But I'm just going to keep it simple. Um, so there's uh there's like the, the amount that my family says, this is no touch, right. Emergency fund. So that that's yeah. like no touch. And then there's savings that, that exists. That's, a f- it's not, it's not quite no touch, but it's like meant to be like longer term. It's not meant to be invested, but during certain times, when you do the math, uh, when I do the math of looking at uh, like the savings rate or whatever, depending on where it is, whatever it's getting long-term or a certain type of deal, it takes from that. That's like most of it. Um, and th- But then there are other times where it depends on the size of the bet that I'm making. It's just like, this is a worthwhile, like it might come from like the next paycheck, right? That, yeah. that kind of like goes into it or whatever it might be. Um, so it depends on the size of the bet, but those are like the two places that typically comes for me. There is not a, like an investment pile that's sitting in my brokerage account, right? That's just waiting for uh, to be deployed. That's the point I wanted to make. I mean, really two things. One is I think very much we are pretty much fully allocated. You know, we have our emergency fund, we have our savings, we hit, we have stuff in cash, we have the kids' college funds or whatever, but we're effectively fully allocated um, with our investment philosophies because you should be if you want to make decent returns. If you're sitting on a big pile of cash, that's going to come back to bite you over the course of 40 years. But I get pretty creative and I get excited about deals in the market as everyone that listens knows. So uh, I'll even like think about, hey, maybe instead of going out to eat and spending a hundred bucks, <laughs> maybe I should re uh, divert those funds to uh, a cheap value stock that has a 7% dividend. Like we're at the point now where there are deals I get excited about and I'm actively thinking about ways to take funds that would end up in other places and divert that into um, investments that have me excited. That is really fun because that hasn't been the case for the past six or seven years. Like there was nothing that I was like, oh, maybe I should skip this sporting event or whatever. Or maybe I should generate some more cash around the house. Uh to invest and i'm getting to the point where i go oh man my life's going to be so much better off if i take a hundred dollars here and a hundred dollars there and a thousand dollars here and a thousand dollars there to deploy into things that i get excited about does that make sense yeah i do think it makes sense and i one thing that i want to throw out there is you were talking about how like it doesn't happen very often and i just want to hammer that home because the the 
the point, at least from my vantage, and I believe you'd agree, we're not saying every time that you see something that you want to buy, throw like the amount at it. This is a it's a rare occurrence. Typically, I invest once a year. Yep. Like typically, according to the model. However, in 2020, these are like rare times, right? In 2020, that was different. And right now, that's different. Right. And and so because there, there are not even necessarily that the uh, the market as a whole is cheap or anything of that nature, but there are deals that respectively between the two of us, we think from a long term horizon perspective, this is a time that's worth starting to like invest in some things. But it's not like, you know, every month, every week we're watching for things to, you know, to throw money at or whatnot. I just want to make that really clear. Thank you so much for doing that, because it is very important to understand that this is maybe once in a decade for me, where I feel like I can invest in a stock that might have a 7% dividend that might have easy upside of two to three times. So I just in the back of my head and going, I'm going to love this dinner with my family, but I also might enjoy that same amount of funds. And this is one stupid example, like one dinner doesn't really matter in the good scheme of things. But if you do enough of it, if you're smart about allocating and you get three times your money with this huge dividend in my specific example, like I get excited about that. I actually go, this is a deal and I got to go get me some of that. So it's not an easy thing to just generate more cash to allocate, but it's simple at the end of the day. It's you sacrifice other expenditures. You pull from other buckets that maybe aren't, that's not the direct cause of it. If you're really excited, if this is a once in a decade type event Uh, for most people, you should just dollar cost average in and be excited about the fact that if markets are down and your dollar cost averaging in every month from your paycheck, you're buying more of the same thing that you were buying six months ago or two years ago. And that's going to end up in a great situation for you. You don't have to change the way you live your life. But for nerds like us, we might reallocate some funds from other creative places. Word. Cool. All right. Well, as uh, Skippy mentioned, skippydoogles at gmail.com. Hit us up with that listener mail. Please go rate and review the podcast. If you go to skippydoogles.com, which we don't talk about as frequently, that's our one-stop shop. You can see all the links to all the the things you can do, including premium subscriptions, et cetera. So please go check that out. And thank you for listening. Thanks, guys.